Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be back with you. Thank you to Pastor Scott for bringing God's Word last Sunday. I want to talk this morning about biblical New Year's resolutions. Biblical New Year's resolutions. Uh, Show of hands, if you're willing, of anybody who made a New Year's resolution this year. That's exactly what I thought. Show of hands if you were afraid to raise your hand because, quite frankly, you've already broken your New Year's resolution. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I thought. Like, it's not like every hand goes up. There's this sense of, after a while, New Year's resolutions, there's almost a sense of, like, despondency. Hey, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Young man, there comes an age when you're going to get what you're going to get, you know? Why bother, right? Why, why try anymore? Uh, well, I, uh, I think it's actually good. I'm going to try to make a case that it is, in fact, good to make a resolution. It is, it's good to resolve. And I want to, I guess, frame them in a biblical way. So what I'm going to try to do today is to help you with an interactive note-taking. What I mean by note-taking is on the back on sermon notes, get ready, leave yourself about 10 lines or so, because I, I'm going to give you some notes with some fill-in-the-blank, but you got to fill-in-the-blank how it applies to you, all right? So I'll give you the framework, and what I'm going to try to do is to frame a biblical framework for New Year's Eve uh, resolutions. Now, here's why I think this is so important. Here's why I think we can't give up. We can't let discouragement and despondency set in. There is something healthy about, hey, it's a new year. Let's, let's take a fresh go, a, a, a fresh start uh, uh, for several reasons. Here are some um, uh, 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 pastors that put it different ways. Andy Stanley would say this. I heard him say one time, uh, he was preaching a sermon. I, I Vaguely remember what it was about, but I'll never forget his conclusion. He said, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do out of God's word today, if you, if you let this go in one ear and out the other and you continue on the trajectory of your life, he said, you may live another 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You'll come to the end of your life. There will come a day when you realize I should have done this. And here's what he said. It's, I've never forgotten this. He said, you'll get down on your knees in your old age and you'll cry out to God, forgive me. And he will forgive, but he won't allow time travel. He won't let you come back to today and live it again. He said you get one shot at this precious life. And that's why it's so important. And, it was so, and I thought, that's really it. Hey, for one reason, if you haven't made any New Year's resolutions, what I encourage you, make one today in this service. Whatever it is. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's going to be for you to decide But for no other reason than at the end of 2022, and you think, oh, it's never going to be 2023. Can you believe it's 2022? It's going to be here like that. Christmas is every other Thursday, right? So we're going to get to to this point next year. It's going to be January 2023. And if you say, Lord, I I just, I didn't keep the, I'm sorry. He will forgive, but he won't allow time travel. So the time to resolve is today. If that's not intense enough, you can always count on John Piper for intensity. I was sent this article last New Year's Eve, 2020. <laughs> In a way, only Piper can. He calls New Year's Eve his annual death rehearsal. I thought, I've heard of a dress rehearsal. No, 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 death rehearsal. This is classic Piper. For me, the end of every year is like the end of my life. And at 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, it's like the moment of my death. 
The 365 days of the year are like a miniature lifetime, and those final hours are like the last days in the hospital after the doctor told me the end is here. And in those last hours, the lifetime of this year passes before my eyes. I face the inevitable question, did I live it well? Will Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, say, well done, good and faithful servant? Every year, I take a trial run at my own dying. Now, for me, the very thought of that is so morbid, so gloomy, so fraught with grief and pain that I, don't, I can't say that I go there. Piper goes on. I suppose for some of you, the thought of dying is so morbid, so gloomy, so fraught with grief and pain. I'm like, yeah. He says, but you keep it out of your minds. But he says, I think that's unwise. And the more I thought about it, the more I think he's right. He's saying the benefit of a rehearsal, to think about the, the end of a new year, the, beginning, uh, the end of an old year, the beginning of a new. He says this time of year, it's actually good to pause. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days. And he said the thing about a death rehearsal, the thing about actually stopping, not every day, but once in a while, stopping and thinking about, wait a minute, preparation for when I finally leave, the thing about rehearsals, he said, they show you where your weaknesses are. And where you can prepare. The, Paul said that he measured his life whether he had kept the faith. And so at the end of the year, you can ask, did I keep the faith? And if you realize you haven't kept the faith, the good news is it's a dress rehearsal. And you can begin keeping the faith in the new year. But again, the seriousness of, and that got me thinking like, well, then it's okay. I should resolve. And of course, uh, Stanley and Piper and C.S. Lewis. <laughs> People think of Christian morality. You know this one from mere Christianity? People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you, and if you don't, I'll do the other thing. He says, that's not the way to look at it. It's more like every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something a little different from it was before. Did you get that? There's no such thing as just staying neutral. No such thing as leveling off. Every day you're going to face choices. Every day you're going to face decisions. And it's going to turn the most central part of who you are. It's going to turn you a little bit one way or another. So take your life as a whole with all its innumerable choices and you're slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Into a creature that's in harmony with God and other creatures and itself or into a state of war with God. See? To be one kind of creature is heaven, joy, peace, knowledge, power. To be the other is madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, eternal loneliness. Each of us is progressing to one state or the other. So I hope I've made my case that from a biblical perspective, it's okay to make a resolution. We should make resolutions. And so I've come up with this formula on how to make a biblical New Year's resolution. It comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians First chapter, if you look up New Year's resolutions in the Bible, you won't find that anywhere, but you will find the word resolve, and that's why I chose 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It does have the word resolve in it. It mentions every resolve for good. Well, that, folks, is a resolution. A little background as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians, uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> what have I told you? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where I want us to be. Wherever, whatever I said. Okay, all right. 2 Thessalonians 1. A uh, little background. He's encouraging the persecuted church at Thessalonica, Paul is, to hang in there. He's coming. Come on. 
You don't have to hold on forever. Just hold on until Jesus comes. Some have started spreading a nasty rumor that, I don't know, maybe Jesus is not coming. Maybe he's already come. Maybe, maybe Jesus has already come and somehow we missed it. Paul says, no. No, no, no. He will come. It will be unmistakable and he will come as judge. Judgment day is coming. And let me just say uh, briefly about that. Do you realize judgment day coming is actually good news? Have you ever thought about that? Judgment day coming is good news. Do, do you know why? Judgment day coming means, for one thing, Christian. For every, imagine you're the persecuted church in Thessalonica. And imagine you're trying to live for Christ and persecution is mounting. And first you're losing your job. Then friends are becoming cold to you. And eventually there's physical threat to you and harm to your family. And you're sacrificing. And you think nobody knows and all this sacrifice is for nothing. Judgment day means, no, there is someone who sees everything. Now let's translate it to right now. Some of you are doing acts of service and you think nobody knows. What does it even matter? Judgment Day says it matters. He sees everything. There's not a sacrifice you do that will not be rewarded in due time. There is, nothing escapes his notice. And on the flip side, there's all this injustice. If you're, if you're in Thessalonica and you're being beaten up and you're going, well, these evildoers seem to always get the upper hand. And, 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 and these folks that are engaged in all this evil, will there ever come a day? Will, will all the wrongs be set right? Judgment Day says, oh, yeah, don't worry. He notices he sees, he sees there will be justice. Even people who don't believe in God should ironically want there to be a judgment day. And that means as a Christian, you can press on, you can forgive. You don't, for one thing, you don't have to get all there is in this life. Like this life is some sort of shopping spree and you've got only a limited amount of time to get all you can get. No, you've got all eternity. So you don't have to be greedy, you don't have to get more. Okay, every sacrifice is noticed. And on the other hand, when people do you wrong, you can forgive. Why? Because they have a judge. It's not you. That judge is coming. And the more I believe in judgment day, the more I can forgive and relax here. See? Because I trust in judgment. Judgment day is good news. Anyway, you can trust him. So, so he's telling them at the end, he gets through uh, chapter one and he says, listen, you've got to hang in there. Judgment day's coming. It's going to be a day where Christ is glorified in his saints and those who reject him will be forever separated from him. And now he comes to verse 11, and here's where I take the formula. There's four parts to this sentence in, uh, in uh, 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 verse 11 and 12, and so four parts to our um, biblical New Year's resolution. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, the first part. To this end, we always pray for you. This is simple, but it's so simple I think people overlook it. The first step in your New Year's resolution is get a team behind you of prayer warriors, Okay. Get people praying for you. So with your goals, you know, uh, go from keeping them in secret to sort of get them, getting them out there in the open. A group of people to hold you accountable, encourage you. It can make a difference. Do you know the band uh, 10th Avenue North? They're a Christian band. They had a song, No Man is an Island. Listen to these lyrics. No man is an island. We can be found. No man is an island. Let your guard down. Please don't try to fight me. I'm for you. We're not meant to live this life alone. Through trouble, rain, or fire, let's reach out to something higher. Ain't no life outside each other. We are not alone. So the first part of the template, and here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Uh, to this end, we always pray for you. So Paul, he's, Paul is the prayer warriors backing up the, this, uh, this resolution. 
with the prayers of blank. That's the first thing I want you to write down. In other words, your New Year's resolution template is going to have these four parts. First, with the prayers of blank. Now, here's the thing. You've got to fill in the blank. Who can you get starting today, starting this week? When you, when you say, all right, I've got a New Year's resolution, who can I get praying for me? You could start, if you're married, you could start with your spouse. You could have your kids pray for you. You could have your parents pray for you. You have your neighbors and your friends pray for you. There's something about getting other people to pray for you, not only the spiritual power that comes in prayer, but also the accountability with opening up to other people. Hey, uh, I have this resolution. Would you pray for me? It gets real, doesn't it? It gets real. Anybody ever been on a diet? Ever been on a diet and try to lose a little weight? Some of you are like, nope. <laughs> Good. Have you ever been on a diet and try to lose weight? As long as you keep that a secret, are you really on a diet? When's it get real? It gets real when you tell everybody, hey, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lose weight. Don't let me eat those cookies. No matter how much I beg, no matter how much I cry, don't let, right? When you get it out there, then suddenly other people, hey, hey, now. Now it's, it's, it's public, right? But it also works the other way for encouragement. Uh, I haven't been a runner my whole life. I've enjoyed running lately, uh, but I haven't. Uh, one of the reasons I struggled with running was because I took up running in, in New York, and uh, not everywhere in January is 75 degrees. <laughs> but some of those cold January mornings in New York, before I started the workday, I knew I needed to put some miles in, and I'm sorry, when it's 28 degrees outside in a blustery wind, it's awfully warm under the covers. So the alarm would go off, and I would just turn it off. And that happened over and over again. I couldn't get any rhythm. I couldn't get any consistency. And when you try to develop any habit, you know consistency is key. What finally changed? I got a running buddy. I got a friend. My buddy Evan lived in an apartment about, oh, about a mile away from my apartment. And I knew that if he left exactly, I left exactly at 6 a.m. And he left exactly at 6.05 because he was faster than me. He was. We had a time. And we met at the exact same spot. And we did that, and we met at the exact same spot because, and neither of us ran with a phone, so it's not like we could connect each other. I just knew he'd be waiting for me. And we knew after a couple minutes, if he wasn't there, we would, I knew the exact route he took, so I would trace the route back. Once I traced it back and found him, and he had twisted his ankle, right? But you see what I mean? We were there for each other. And I knew when I wanted to go back under the covers, all I could think about was Evan going, where's Tom, right? freezing to death and that got me out of bed and at least gave me the inertia you know that to be true so who's your team who's behind you who's going to be praying for you when you establish the biblical new year's resolution so i know that's simple but don't miss the fact that paul says we always pray for you to this end so with the prayers of blank and you can go ahead and i mean if no time like the present go ahead and think of a couple names and put it in there with the prayers of who can you get out in the open and who can you talk to this about all right let's go on Part two, the rest of verse 11. That our God, to this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Oh, may make you worthy of his calling. If you are here today or you're hearing this online and you're not yet a believer, you're not yet a Christian, first of all, I'm glad you're here. I hope you continue to come back. But you need to know that the first point, I suppose, will help you. The prayers of others will always bless you. But really, points two, three, and four won't apply to you. The rest of this biblical New Year's resolution won't really apply to you. This letter was written to Christians. 
And so I want you to pay attention so that when you do become a Christian, it will apply to you. But the majority of this template applies to believers, followers of Jesus, because of stuff like this. He says, God may make you worthy of his calling. What on earth does that mean? It means technically a biblical resolution fulfills what you already are. (laughs) A biblical resolution fulfills what you already are. I know that that sounds a little crazy, become what you are, but that's actually a Christian doctrine. What do I mean? In Christ, think about it, Christian. In Christ, God has declared you chosen, holy, innocent, righteous. That's the thing called justification, right? He declares you justified, which is a way to think of that as justified in the eyes of God means a guilty sinner gets declared righteous, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Got it? So that's who you are positionally. And now in the process of sanctification, the process of being made holy, John Stott uses the image of narrowing the gap. Christ says this is who you are positionally. Now in actuality, more and more, and eventually, finally, and forever when Christ returns, you're to be made into the image of Christ. You're narrowing that gap between who you are, who God says you are positionally, and who you know yourself to be in actuality growing more and more in holiness because he has declared you holy. Uh, Several verses point this out in the New Testament right here in these pastoral epistles. 2 Timothy 1, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling. 1 Thessalonians 2, walk in a manner worthy of God who has called you into his glory and kingdom. Now this can be a little tricky to understand, so the Bible gives a lot of different word pictures of this. One, the Bible talks a lot of times about um, slaves to sin, free in Christ. One, one image is emancipation. To say become who you are, the New Testament uses the image of emancipation. In other words, sin is no longer your master. You have been set free. Just like when the Emancipation Proclamation was issued by President Lincoln. You, you, so the slaves were set free. So just like you've been set free by God, now learn to live in this freedom. Learn to walk in this freedom. Learn how to be a free person. Emancipation, you see? Become what you are. You've been declared free, now live like the free. Another word picture the New Testament uses is citizenship to describe this same thing. Uh, 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 You have a new country now. You're no longer part of the the thing that's passing away, the old kingdom. You're now part of the kingdom of heaven. So your new country, a new destination, a new heavenly home. So stop living in the habits of your old sin culture. You've been given a new passport, you might say. Now your passport, you're a citizen of heaven. But you have to learn the new customs of your new country. See, somebody can be a new citizen overnight, but it takes time to learn the language. It takes time to... Learn the customs. Take time to learn. Oh, that's how we do it in this country. And so much of the New Testament is the day you get saved, you are given heaven's passport. Now come and learn how to live like a heaven citizen. See, become who you are. Why is this so important? Because it's not learn how to live like a heavenly citizen. And if you're a good little boy or good little girl, maybe just maybe you can earn your heaven citizenship. It's through nothing you've done, strictly through his grace, he makes you a citizen of heaven. Now learn how to live into your new citizenship. Emancipation, citizenship. Another word picture in the New Testament uses is adoption. You've been adopted into the family of God. So a child who, uh, for whatever reason, has no parents is, is adopted into the Smith family. 
The, the moment that judge makes that decision, that gavel comes down, he is positionally adopted into the family of the Smiths, but it may take years to learn how we do things in the Smith family. See? It may take a long time to learn how to live as a child in this family. Yes, he is legally a Smith, but now he must become a Smith, so to speak. And why is this so important? Because I want to change your whole perspective on New Year's resolutions, let's face it, so many New Year's resolutions are made out of guilt. I feel guilty, let's say, about overeating, or I feel guilty about drunkenness or addiction to substances, pornography or, or anger, anxiety, envy, workaholism, whatever it is. And so you think, I feel guilty about these things, so I must change. Well, change is good, so far so good. But if you look carefully behind that, the thinking is often essentially, I'm worthless and I'm lovable. But if I can improve my efforts in 2022, you know, if I can resolve to do better, maybe my effort will make me worthy and lovable. And every Christian needs to know that's, that's a lie. Two things are wrong with that. Guilt, for one thing, guilt, as a, guilt may work as a short-term motivator, but it, guilt has never led to a real lasting change of life. You understand? You can make somebody feel guilty and they can do a little better for a little while, but it's never gonna truly change their hearts. The other problem with guilt as a motivator is when you break your New Year's resolution, when you mess up one time, you just give up because all those feelings of worthlessness come back. In fact, they only prove to you what you've been condemning yourself to think already. Well, see, there you go. That just proves I'll never get it right. I'm unworthy and unlovable. But the gospel looks at this different. The gospel says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your worth is not tied to your effort but to his love. You're not resolving to behave better so that you can become worthy and loved. You're behave, you, you want to resolve to behave better because you're already worthy and loved. Do you understand that? You are adopted as a child of the high and holy king of the universe, so you don't need to find comfort in junk food, let's say. You don't need to self-medicate with substances. Why? Because your father is the God of all comfort. I hope you see that, that... that I want, you start to make spiritual resolutions. You start to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, so I need to start walking in this. Now, that's a good framework for a biblical New Year's resolution. I need to lay hold of, I need to appropriate that which Christ says I already am in him. Uh, you may remember uh, when I preached on Prince of Peace. I said, stop waiting for it. Start walking in it. That's the idea here. It's not guilt and condemnation that says, I've got to get it right in 22. I've, I, I'm unworthy, but maybe if I get it right, maybe my behavior will please God. No, you, are a, you, you please the Lord. He, he is pleased in you in Jesus Christ. Now, live as someone who is pleasing to God. Live into that holiness. Appropriate it. Uh, so, so here's, the, uh, here's the, 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 the framework. With the prayers of blank, you already had that part, right? And because I am already blank, and here I'll help you with some examples. If you say, let, let's say that you, you're going to make a New Year's resolution. And the third one, by the way, you're about to make the actual resolution. But I'm hoping you already have in mind what that resolution is. Well, here's how to frame it. With the prayers of so-and-so, get some people around you. And because I'm already a child of God, you know? Because I'm already safe and secure. Because I'm already declared righteous and holy in his sight. So let me give you some examples. If you said, for example, 
um, you know, I want to save more money. I want to save more money. Well, you'd say with the prayers of so-and-so, you know, I'm, I, I, I overspend. I want to save. You could say, and because I'm already safe and secure in God. I'm already completely content in God. So now savings comes out of the framework of I need this to be secure. No, no, no. I need God to be secure. I need to be a good steward of my money because I'm already a child of the king. If it's overeating, if it's whatever, because I'm already pleasing to God. I'm already beautiful in his sight, so I need to live into that. I need to appropriate that. I hope that makes sense. I actually had this thought um, uh, before I was about to preach. I, I did an event, uh, Extreme. Our students came to it, and I was uh, hanging out backstage, and, and, and somebody was walking by. One of them, I guess he was a musician, and um, uh, and he could see I was preparing. My, I had my Bible open, and I was looking over my notes. And I was kind of talking to myself. And uh, this guy comes up to me, this big Australian guy, and he goes, are you talking today, mate? Which I guess meant preaching. And I was like, I'm talking every day, mate. Like, you don't know me, you know. But I was like, yeah, I'm about to give the sermon. He goes, has anybody prayed for you? And I found out later this guy was known for a very brash personality. And I said, well, no, nobody's prayed for me yet. Great, I'm going to pray for you. So he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, I pray for, sorry, mate, what's your name? <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm Tom. He said, oh, I pray for Tom, and I just pray one thing for this fella. Oh, God, I pray you tell him that you love him. Let him know he's loved. He's about to go out there and preach a sermon, and if it's a total garbage sermon, let him know he's loved. <laughs> so I did, what, I did what I'm doing right now. I just paused. I look up, he goes, that was an amen, mate. I'm done. I was like, oh, he was waiting for me to fist bump him. He was done. Yeah, we don't say amen. We just, I'm done. Okay, great. And he walked off. <laughs> I thought, I don't know if that was supposed to be encouraging. Or <laughs> uh, but that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And my prayer for you, Australian accent or not, my prayer for you would be that you would know you're loved in 2022. And from that, there's no end to what you can resolve. But it has to start not from guilt so that you can earn your right to be loved. It's got to start with, I am a beloved child of God. Well, this man they call Jesus, he planted the seeds of my heart. One day he's coming back for the harvest and he's there for the crop. Oh, that's fine. He's grateful for whatever fruit grows, but it's me that he loves just as I am, just as I was, just as I will be. He loves me, he does. He showed me the day, he shed his own blood, he loves me, oh how he loves me. See, from that place, with the prayers of people praying for me, in this case, you know, brash Australians, whatever, and because I'm already a child of God, because I'm already loved, got it? Then, part three, now I may fulfill, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that's the why, I guess you could say, of New Year's resolution. This is the how. Some, uh, uh, when, it, when it says, I, you know, God may fulfill every resolve. There, it's, this is fascinating language. You make the New Year's resolutions. You have to do the work. You live into it. And yet, and yet there's this mystery that it's not you, it's God's power living through you. Incredible. There are two errors. Some people say, 
Some people say, well, it's all up to God. There's nothing we're supposed to do. It's not you, it's God. And they're right in a sense. I know what they mean. They mean don't rely on your own power. But that's, that's crazy to tell somebody it's all up to God. And so if you want to exercise, you don't even have to get out of bed. What? What? Uh, uh, I know what they mean, but sometimes that can be unhelpful. On the other hand, people would say, you've got to resolve, dig deep, white knuckle it, try harder. Well, it's like, it's like if God were not alive, your resolutions wouldn't change. They're all based on your willpower. It doesn't have to be either thing. I think the confusion comes because some people say, I think some people know before we are saved, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And so they assume that once you're saved, there's still nothing God ever wants you to do. But 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I preached on this at this conference, uh, uh, train yourself to be godly. Uh, Dallas Willard has the best line on this. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Uh, 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 the book of James is the classic on all this. It's not faith without works. It's a faith that works. You may remember, uh, was it, a couple years ago, I preached on James, faith obedience, the idea of faith and obedience. We sang a hymn this morning, trust and obey. It's not either or. Your works are just what you believe gone public. It's your faith gone public. And you're working out, you're living through his power. We rely on his wisdom. We rely on the Holy Spirit's power, right? And yet we resolve in this mystery. So here we go. With the prayers of blank, you got that, right? And because I am already his child, I'm already loved, working in his power, right? Nobody is saying in a biblical New Year's resolution, I'm going to do this. This is up to me. No, of course you rely on his power. You give him the credit. Working in his power, I resolve to blank. And here's where you can fill in your own resolution. For those of you who've already made a New Year's resolution, go ahead and fill this in, all right? For those of you who still want to make one or need to make one, hey, now's the time. Think about it. If you, if you need to ponder this more, I want you, that's why I want, I've insisted that you write this down so you can take it home this afternoon, think it through, but don't wait too long. Working in his power, I resolve to what? What is that resolution? Is it about some spiritual discipline? Is it about some physical discipline? What is that resolve? Finally, and this is the last part, and this is what makes it a biblical New Year's resolution. With the prayers of so-and-so, and because I'm already, whatever you want to put there, loved, child, safe, working in his power, I resolve to whatever it is, finally, and here's the why, verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, think about the motivation behind your New Year's resolution. The motivation, ultimately, if you're not a Christian, no matter what the resolution, if it's to lose weight or to look better or to be happy, ultimately, it's to seek glory. And that glory is really to glorify yourself. Now, the irony is the Bible has the same ultimate goal, but it goes at it the complete opposite way. The Bible would say a human is never more glorious than when that human is glorifying God. Let me say it again. A human is never more glorious than when that human is glorifying God. According to this scripture, there's coming a day, right, when the Lord Jesus is going to come. And according to, it's not up here, but two verses before, verse 10, uh, 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 when he comes, when he appears, we're gonna be glorif- he's going to be glorified in his saints. And here he comes back to that. 
the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, like right now, even before he comes, the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Uh, this, this glorified in you, um, glorif- Jesus will be glorified in his saints. John Stott points out in his commentary, and I, I had never really thought about this, but he said, don't miss glorified in you. Christ Jesus glorified in you. He said that little word in is very important. It's not glorified by you or glorified through you, glorified in you. And here's his point, here's his point. If it had said Christ Jesus is to be glorified by his people, then it would almost be like Christ Jesus is the actor on a stage and we his people applaud him. And we throw flowers on the stage. And we say, yeah, that was wonderful, Jesus. You're wonderful. That's glorified by us, right? We're glorifying Jesus as if he's a rock star, an actor on a stage. Or glorified through us would be like a mirror. A mirror reflects, right? You see yourself through this mirror. And so the Christians reflect the glory of Jesus. And there's some sense in which both those things, I suppose, could happen from time to time. But primarily, it's glorified in And John Stott says the only illustration he could think of is, uh, and I don't know how this works in a day and age of LED light bulbs, but uh, anybody remember filaments? (laughs) So filament, right? Imagine an old filament-style light bulb. That filament is there. And when the current is switched on, the power goes through it, and the power is glorified in the filament. He says, here's why that's so important. He says, that's what it's like. That's what this verse is saying. Here's why that's so important. We don't, uh, 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 when, an, when an audience is in front of uh, uh, an actor and they applaud, they may or may not be moved by the drama. They may or may not be moved by the actor. They may not be changed. A mirror is never changed no matter what it reflects. Do you ever think about that? I know people joke about that. They say, oh, if you take my photo, I'm going to break your camera. Ha, 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 you know, but that's not true. It doesn't matter what the mirror reflects. The mirror isn't changed, but a filament. When the current comes through it, the filament glows with heat and radiates all that glory. You are going to be changed. You are going to be glorified in him. A human is never more glorious than when they're glorifying Jesus. And you are going to share in that glory, unlike a light bulb which can be switched on and switched off, you're going to share in that glory forever. Glorified in his people. And you can have a taste of that now. So, is your resolution to seek glory for yourself or because you reflect the glory of God? Here we go. Put it all together. With the prayers of so-and-so. And because I am already safe, his child, loved, whatever. Working in his power, I resolve to, and then you got to write down the resolution. Resulting in blank, which will glorify Jesus. In other words, what's the point of your resolution? What are you driving at? What is it that's going to make your resolution this year glorify God even more? So, for example, with the prayers of my my best friend across the street, I'm going to ask this guy to pray for me. And because I'm already his child, I'm a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, working working in his power, I resolve to Read my Bible every day. Let's just say, that's it. Why? Because I'm already a citizen of his kingdom. I might as well read the, the manual on how to live as a kingdom citizen, right? Which will result in what? Which will result in a deeper understanding of who God is, therefore a deeper love for who God is, and that's just going to bring more and more glory to God as people encounter me. 
See, the ultimate goal is not vanity. It's not, well, I, you know, I'm trying to seek some sort of happiness apart from God. The ultimate goal is to bring all that glory right back to God, resolved for the glory of God. Okay. I hope that this gives you a framework. Um, if you were able to write that down in time, I hope that uh, some of you have already been thinking. I told you it's sort of interactive note-taking. Uh, and only uh, two things uh, remain then to be said. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a time of response. Uh, to the Christian, uh, this is one of those sermons where it's like, I hope you do it. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 this is highly application-based. I mean, it, the point of the sermon is not, well, you know, that was good or that was bad or I liked that or I didn't. It's like, will you do it. <laughs> Just do it. Do this. Resulting in fruit that glorifies Jesus. Now, if you, here's the great thing. If, if you do this, if you frame it this way, a couple things. One, only two things can happen. Either you can keep the resolution that day or you can break it. Well, then, if this is the way you framed it, either way, it's a win-win. If you keep the resolution, you show off his glory, and it doesn't make you proud. It makes you more and more humble because he gave you the power to do it. So you kept it that day, and at the end of that day, when you're putting your head on your pillow, you go, God, thank you for keeping me one more day in your grace. And maybe I was halfway useful to your kingdom, but that's up to you. I'm just so grateful to you. It was your power. I didn't do it, and I just want all this to glorify you. Doesn't lead to pride if you frame it this way, right? Leads to gratitude. And then if you frame it this way, the other alternative is, what if you didn't hit your mark that day? What if you didn't? meet that resolution well you don't have to grow despondent you don't have to say well that's it I'm off the team forever no wait 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 I'm a child of God I'm his apprentice in the school of Jesus I'm his disciple and above all the one thing I got away from that sermon Tom told me was I am loved I'm a loved child of God so Lord I ask you to forgive me and you're going to glorify God even if you fail you're going to glorify God why because you prove his grace you give him another chance to prove his grace. And you thank him for his grace. Lord, I don't want to abuse your grace. I want to take that grace and let it set me free. We're going to try again tomorrow. See? If you're a believer, you can trust the one who never broke a resolution. Let me tell you, when Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, Luke, Luke 9, 51, when he set his face, you think about that. He resolved to go to the cross, to die for us, to rise again on the third day. And if anything had broken that resolution, we would all be bound for eternal hell. But he kept that resolution. Satan tried to dissuade him. Judas tried to betray him. Pontius Pilate tried to threaten him. The soldiers tried to beat him. Satan is continually trying to tempt him. At any moment, that pain was trying to overtake him. And he kept that resolution to the very end for the joy that was set before him. See? And because he was faithful to keep his resolution, you can lay your head at night on the pillow and say, okay, Lord. By your grace and in your power, give me the grace to resolve. And if you're not yet a believer, oh, listen, this whole sermon's really been for believers. But doesn't the human heart cry out every new year, the first Sunday of a new year? Don't you cry out for a new year? Doesn't the world celebrate with fireworks because the turning of a calendar page, it just feels new? Listen to that. You're not going to receive something new just by turning a calendar page, only by turning your life over to Jesus. Receive him. If you're not yet a believer, receive him. That's the ultimate new start. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this new day. God, grant to us that we might make 
biblical New Year's resolutions that the believers in the room would know beyond a shadow of a doubt they are loved and out of that love relationship would flow good deeds and good resolutions. Grant to anyone who's feeling despair fresh courage this morning. Grant to anyone who feels uh, far from you. Let them know how much they're loved. And if anybody doesn't know you, let today be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet for our invitation? Uh, We have some uh, joining the church. We have uh, God moving in our church. Whatever it is, whatever your decision, you do as God leads. Scott will be here to receive you.